welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Cork Church. It's a, it's a pleasure for us to be here. Uh, this morning. Thank you for uh, your kind invitation. And I want to just say before we begin, uh, so a lot of you, because uh, there's so many new faces here that we don't know, a lot of you won't know the story. But uh, nine years ago now, uh, nearly 10 years ago, uh, I was working here as a member of staff in the church. And uh, eight years ago next month, Emma and I stood on this platform as Pastor Stephen married us on the 14th of July. And uh, I don't know whoever it was that coined the phrase, home is where the heart is, but this is home for us, if home is where the heart is. Um, I just want to say as well, because you rarely get an opportunity to do it, but uh, for Pastor Nick and for Pastor Stephen especially, uh, I just want to thank you both publicly for your great kindness towards us. And your example that we try and follow as, as men of God and in ministry, uh, we just want to thank you for that. And as well, I want to make a very, very special uh, honoring, if I can, and that's to Gavin. And uh, Gav, I just want to say, if it wasn't for your influence, I'm not even sure that I would be walking with the Lord, never mind be in ministry. Uh, I look back over my 31 years and you are one of the two or three most influential people in my life to get me to where I am. And if you needed any more evidence than that, uh, I think back there was a two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when Pastor Owen O'Sullivan stood in my place. And there's another one, through your kindness, through your love. And uh, the beautiful thing about being in the body of Christ is that we are family, even though we're not blood relatives. Well, in fact, we are blood relatives. We're all washed under the same blood. I think it's what's so beautiful about the picture of Jesus on the cross just moments before he dies, when he looks down from the cross and sees his very own natural mother, Mary, standing there. And he turns to the disciple, John, who the Bible says the disciple whom he loved. He had a special relationship and love with John. And he says to John, John, behold your mother. And he says to his mother, behold your son. The, the beautiful thing about that is that uh, Mary, even though she was his mother, sees Jesus on the cross the same way that we see him today, not just as her son, but also as her saviour. And that's why we view him today. That's why we can come in and say for people who are not natural family for us, you have been fathers to us. You have been mothers to us, Judith, Catherine, Wilma. You have been, you have been brothers and sisters for us in Christ. And we just want to acknowledge you all today and give you thanks for that. Let's pray before we get into God's word. Jesus, we, we just worship you. Oh, we give you thanks, Lord. We're so grateful, Lord. Our gratitude cannot be measured, Lord, because your grace cannot be measured, because your love cannot be measured, because how you view us cannot be measured by any English language or any term that we could think of, oh God, to describe it. But Lord, we come to you now. And Lord, I'm coming here this morning, standing here, Lord, and I'm tired after a few days, Lord, celebrating what God's doing in the lives of our young adults. 
Lord, I'm running on fumes, O oh God, but this is the promise that I declare over this message this morning. For me doing the preaching, for all of us doing the listening, for you doing the speaking into our hearts and our lives, that even when stuff comes against us, and even when we can't see our way out, and even when we feel like we're sinking or we're going under the weight of what we feel, this is our promise today, that though the outward man may be perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. And Father, I pray, O oh God, that you would uh, minister through the tiredness. We thank you, Lord, that when we are weak, you are strong. We thank you for all of those promises, Lord. All I can come and bring to the pulpit today, all we can come and bring to worship you today, to give you gratitude is this, Lord, that we are inadequate. On our best days, we are inadequate. But your grace, Lord, covers, Lord, a multitude of sin. It's dealt with our past. It delivers our present, Lord. It delivers our future, O oh God. And we ask and pray, Lord Jesus, that you would minister to hearts and lives today in your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The title of my message this morning is quite simple, and it's this. It is celebrating the day I died. Nudge the person beside you and tell them this is going to be more encouraging than it sounds. Celebrating the day that I died. If you turn with me, please, to Daniel chapter 5, the book of Daniel chapter 5, towards the end of the Old Testament. And uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, don't, don't worry. Uh, I, I'm going to read these scriptures together. Father, we just pray you bless this word as we read it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 5, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. It says, Belshazzar the king, the king of Babylon as it is, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Let's pause there for just a moment. I am thankful for a father who loved God and who puts God first above everything else that he does. Eight years ago, as I said, we got married on this very platform. We went to our hotel, had our celebration, and my dad stood up to give his father of the groom speech to welcome Emma into the family, and he told the most ridiculous story you have ever heard in your life. So dad, if you're watching online, they're away on holiday at the moment. So if you're watching online this morning, happy Father's Day. And I apologize for the next two minutes as I recount this story. He told this story about a man who was able to play the bagpipes. Now that's a skill in, a, in its own, let me tell you. He was invited, this man who played the bagpipes was invited to go and play at the burial and a funeral of a homeless man, a man who he had never met. So... He gets himself ready on the day, gets himself suited and booted, maybe wearing a kilt, who knows. And he drives to the cemetery so he can play the bagpipes for this burial that's about to take place. When he gets to the cemetery, he discovers 
that he's at the wrong place. It's the wrong cemetery. So he gets back into his car. He flies across the city, goes to the other cemetery. And by the time he arrives at the other cemetery, he discovers that all of the mourners have already left. He looks over towards the hole, towards the plot, and he, all he sees is the two members that work for the council alongside their digger standing beside the hole. He's so upset about how late it is that he gets his bagpipes out of the boot of the car, he tunes them up, he walks over towards the hole, and he decides that he is going to play his bagpipes like he has never played them before. He plays and he plays and he plays and the more he plays, the more passionate he becomes until the tears are pouring down his face and the tears are pouring down the face of the two government employees that are standing alongside him. He finishes playing Amazing Grace as best as he can. He turns and he walks back towards his car and as he's putting his bagpipes into the boot, one of the government employees turned to the other and he says, I have never seen anything like that before in my life. And I have been burying septic tanks for 20 years. (laughs) Here's the thing. When I look around the world today, do you know what religion teaches us? Religion teaches us to make a song and a dance of burying things that are not dead and burying things that have never lived. We are not doing religion here this morning we have entered into a relationship with Christ. And that's what we're going to celebrate this morning, talking about celebrating the day I died. Here we have Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. What is he doing? He is living his best life, as we would say. He is enjoying his own authority. He calls these a thousand lords to his palace and he's celebrating a feast. What's he doing? He's really celebrating himself. He, he, he sends out the command to his servants, I want you to go and get the gold and the silver vessels that were once in the, in the temple in Jerusalem and we are going to take them, we're going to fill them with our wine, we're going to have our drink from them, we're going to dance, we're going to be merry, we're going to have the time of our lives. And yet here he is, so celebrating his own place, so pumped up by his own authority, so self-centered in this very moment that he takes the things that God had called righteous and he makes a mockery of God in such revelry, in such drunkenness, so caught up with himself. Until there comes a moment in these next few verses. In verse five, let's read it together. In the CMR as he's celebrating in his drunkenness the fingers of a man's hand. Now, I want us to be so completely clear here this morning. This hand that we are about to read of is the hand of God, but I see it as the hand of Christ coming. And he's now going to say to Belshazzar what God is going to say to Belshazzar. And let's be mindful of what he says here today. This hand appears in the CMR. The fingers of a a man's hand appeared and they rode opposite the the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees were knocking together against one another. 
And the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and shall have a chain of gold around his neck and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. And then in comes his wife, the queen. It's always the wife that speaks reality when the husband is doing their own thing. In comes the wife, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords came into the banquet hall. The banquet hall. The queen spoke and she said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. For there is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding and interpreting dreams, solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will give you the interpretation. Look here for a moment at the contrast. We have a king who's been so caught up in himself, so self-absorbed with what he's doing, that he has reached the point of drunkenness, revelry, celebration at his own self-importance. And yet when, they, when this hand appears and starts to, to write, which we'll cover in just a moment, starts to write on the, on the wall and in the plaster of the wall before him, he goes from his celebration and self-absorbed, such a place of uh, self-confidence, if I can put it like that. Now his, his, his hips are loosed, his knees are knocking together, his countenance has changed, he's gone from one extreme to the other, he's now entering into fear. But where does the fear come from? The fear comes from confusion. Brothers and sisters, I want us to understand here this morning, God does not want us to live in fear because fear comes from confusion, but the antidote to our confusion and therefore the antidote to our fear is always faith in Jesus Christ. It's always faith in him. He always meets us in our point of need. He always meets us where we're at. He always meets us when we're gripped by fear, when we're unsure for tomorrow, when our future doesn't seem like it's set in concrete and we can become concerned by our own lives and the lives of our loved ones and our children and our family and our job and our finances and all of those things. It amazes me. It never ceases to amaze me that Jesus always meets us where we are. And so here we have the king who's gone from one extreme to the other and his wife, the queen, enters in and she says to him, but there is a man in your kingdom. And see the contrast in the man in your kingdom. What does she describe Daniel as? She says he is a man full of light. He is a man that is full of the Spirit of God. He is a man who is full of wisdom and full of knowledge. It's wisdom like the gods, not realizing. She realized in part, but she didn't realize the full picture. She could see he was full of the Spirit. She could see that he was full of light. She could see that he had wisdom, but she didn't know that the wisdom that he had was the wisdom that he had received from God. Brothers and sisters, let's be under no illusion this morning. Everything that is good within us, we have received from him. That's why we worship. 
That's why we give him glory. That's why we raise our hands in worship, because we are nothing. And if we are nothing, he is our everything. He has promised he will be that to you today. And we worship him and give him thanks. All of these things come as the result of having the Spirit of God in his life. Verse 17. Daniel is now about to give his account of the writing that's on the wall. And this is what he says. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yes, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. And this is it. O king, the most high God, give Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in, hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew, until he knew, until he knew that the most high God rules in this kingdom and rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever God chooses. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Although you knew all this, you have lifted up yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of the house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine with them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which you do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, uperson. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene means God has numbered your kingdom and has finished it. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and you have been found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. I want to just say this to you this morning. This is so important that we understand this. Every move of God in our hearts and in our lives and in the lives of those around us, around us always starts with one thing. It always starts in the place of humility. It's what happened for Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's father. He had risen himself up to being something above his station and God had to put him through some stuff to remind him that God was sovereign. 
Sometimes, brothers and sisters, God allows us to go through some things to remind us that he is sovereign. I was sharing with the young adults last night in Jeremiah 29, there's a wonderful verse of scripture that we have inscribed on bookmarks in our Bible, paintings in our homes, plaques on our TV cabinets and everything else. But Jeremiah chapter 29, God speaks a prophetic word to the nation of Israel. And this is what he says through Jeremiah. He says, I have caused you to be carried away captive. We normally think that God is the one who takes us out of captivity and leads us into the place of safety and security. Oh, we've got to believe this morning that he does that. But he also allows us to be in places sometimes that are uncomfortable to remind us that he is sovereign and to remind us that he is God and that we are not and we are completely and wholly reliant upon him. Every move of God starts in a place of humility. But there's one thing in particular, one word of that writing on the wall that so caught my attention, and it's the word in verse 27. What a statement of judgment to have spoken over your life. Could you imagine if anybody came to you one day and said, I want to tell you something. This is what I'm going to tell you. You have been weighed in the balance and you have been found wanting. They say that there are two things that are good for your teeth drinking milk and not saying something like that to somebody. They're the two things that are good for your teeth. Could you imagine if somebody came to you and said, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting? It means quite literally, you have been, you have been measured up against the standard and you have not met the requirements. Now imagine if that wasn't somebody saying that to you, but imagine if that was the judgment that God had spoken over your life. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. That was the judgment that was spoken over our lives. I want to tell you here this morning, if you are not in a relationship with Christ, that is still the judgment that is spoken over your life. Religion tries to make a song and a dance of something that can't be buried because it was never alive in the first place. What was, alive, what was never alive in the first place was us in our sin and in our shame. And it doesn't matter how through religion we try and dress it up through good works, through our relationships, through trying to be a good person. We can never meet the standard. We can never meet that measurement and standard that we are measured up against. We have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. We are tech hell this morning for those who were once uh, living their own life, living the way that they wanted to, but through in a place of humility, accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. They were once living in a place of tech hell, but they are no longer. Let me show you that as we go into the New Testament. Paul is writing to the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. And this is what he says. This blew me away when I thought about it again. Paul is talking and he's speaking about all those who have come to faith in Christ. And this is what he says. He says, God, having wiped out the handwriting... We see the picture of the handwriting on the wall. You have been weighed in the balance and you have been found wanting. But this is what God does. This is our redemption this morning, brothers and sisters. That in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, having wiped out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That is having, hand, having, hand, having wiped out the handwriting, the list of things that kept you from right relationship with God. God himself has met us in our point of need. He has wiped out the 
handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, that was piled up, that was stacked up high against us. And he has taken it out of the way. And where is it now, brothers and sisters? It's no longer in me. It's no longer in you. Instead, God has come and he's wiped it out. And instead, he has nailed it to the cross. He's nailed it to the cross. Your sin and your shame has been nailed to the cross this morning. It's dead. It's gone. It's not rearing its head. You can think about your past. You can think about your shame. But God has not saved you to think about your shame. God has saved you to remind you that your sin and your shame has been dealt with this morning. That's why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And he says one of the most profound scriptures that we have in our Bible. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ, he lives in me. I'm so glad this morning. It's not about me. It's not about you, whoever you are. It's not about you this morning. This is our standing today. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And because Christ lives in me, the life which I now live in the flesh, that is in the natural, the the man that is standing before you here this morning, I don't live according to myself. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. What a blessing we have to be bestowed with so much simply by faith. Never ceases to amaze us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm so glad Tim Moreland is dead. I'm so glad whoever you are, you can put your name in the blank. I'm so glad that you died. This is why we celebrate the day that we died this morning. Because we died in the same way that Christ was nailed to the cross, so we have been crucified with him. And it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives within us. A.W. Tozer, one of the greatest theologians that's ever lived, put this little phrase in one of his books. And he says, we wonder why Christians are described as a peculiar people. He says, this is why Christians are described as a peculiar people. Why? Because as Christians, he feels supreme love for the one whom he has never seen. He talks with familiarity every day to someone he cannot see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. He empties himself in order to be full. He admits he is wrong so that he can be declared right. He goes down in order to get up. He is strongest when he is weakest. He is richest when he is poorest. And he is happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so he can live. He forsakes in order to have. He gives away so that he can keep. He sees the invisible. He hears the inaudible. And he knows that which passes all understanding. This is you and I this morning, brothers and sisters. Christ lives in me and I am in him. All because Tim Moreland has already died and Christ lives in his place. We sing a song in our church Every time I sing it, I end up in floods of tears because it so touches my heart. Some see just a wooden cross, but I can see the grace of your redemptive heart. And here I know the goodness of the greatness of your victory. And here I know the weight of all your love for me. Some will say this place belongs in history, but I can see, yes, I can see, 
It's the cross that changes everything. And it's a love that sets the captive free. It's the hope that resurrected me. And it's the power of God for all who believe. I believe. I thank you, Jesus, for your cross this morning. The hand that wrote Tekel on the wall, you have been weighed in the balance and found one thing. Do you know what that hand has this morning? It's no longer writing my Tekel on the wall. That hand has a something else that's so significant and special about it. The same, the same hand that wrote, you have been, you've been weighed in the balance and found one thing. It's the same hand this morning that has my name inscribed in its palm. It's the same hand this morning that has your name inscribed in its palm. This is our standing that we have. It reminds me of the story of the lost son. Jesus is teaching in the parable of the prodigal son. And I grew up listening to this story and I never thought that it really related to me. I was a Christ, I've been a Christian since I was six years old in a, in, a, in a Christian family in church all of my life. And Jesus tells this story of a man who has taken from his father what was owed to him and he goes to a foreign land and he squanders it and then he returns back when he's lost it all and when he has nothing else except to return to his father's house, he returns to his house with nothing to bring. We see this beautiful picture of the father standing at the front door waiting for his son to return. And it tells us even before he gets to home that the father sees him in the distance returning. He has such love for his son that he goes running towards him. It's a beautiful picture of how when we could not go to him, he came to us. It's a beautiful picture of how often in the book of Mark, Mark himself describes the actions that Jesus does with a word and the word that he says is immediately because that's God's response to faith. But it's also God's response to fear. It's also his response to inadequacy. He meets us immediately and the father goes running to the son and welcomes him in and he brings him into the household. But there's another son. We'll come to that in just a minute. The other son begins to be frustrated when he sees this this muppet of a brother of his who's gone and squandered everything and come back as if everything's just going to be fine now. And then to make it even worse, it turns out because of his father's heart for his other son, for both of his sons, everything is going to be fine. If that was my brother, I'd kill him if he wasn't already dead. And the, the father goes to the other son who's annoyed and he says to him, He says, son, I want you to understand something. Your brother was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but he is now found. And when I thought about that story as a kid, I thought, well, I've never really squandered much. That cannot appeal to me. But there's a phrase that the father says to the other son, and that's where I see myself in the story. He says, son, we are going to celebrate the return of your brother, but this is my message that I have for you today. My message, and I believe this is what God wants to speak to our hearts and our lives today, and it's this. He says, son, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. This is our standing today. Everything that the Father has, He gave to the Son. 
And because Christ lives in me and I am in him, everything that was given to the Son is given to me. I stand here this morning. We sit here and we worship. We worship in our righteousness. We worship in our holiness. We worship in our joy. We worship in our love and we worship in his grace all because the Father has bestowed it to us through his Son. Everything that I have is yours. Let me finish with this. On the 21st of May, 1738, Charles Wesley is lying in his bed suffering from pleurisy. It's a condition that affects your breathing and affects your lungs. Charles Wesley lying in bed, such as his illness, such as his affliction, such as the weight that it's casting upon him that he's now doubting his own faith. This is one of the strongest believers and Christians that has ever lived. But sometimes, I mean, some of you know, you know so much better than I do, extended periods, periods of illness puts our mind in places that it can be difficult to break through unless Jesus meets us in our point of need. And he's so consumed by his illness, so now doubting his own faith, that he's really struggling until a group of Christians come to his house And they come into his room and they begin to speak about the things of God and they begin to minister to him and touch his heart. And he is so encouraged by what he sees that he gets out after receiving some strength from God and time spent in his presence, that he gets out of his bed and he goes to his table and he wrote down an 18 verse poem of which has become one of the two, probably one of the top five or 10 greatest and best known hymns throughout history. 18 verses of it he wrote, And then four days later, he went to see his brother, John Wesley, who had had a similar experience just a few days before. And what do they do? As faith arises in their hearts, Charles Wesley turns to his brother, John, sits down at a piano, and he begins to sing this 18-verse hymn that he had written just a few days earlier. Let me read to you some of the verses. Glory to God and praise and love be ever, ever given by saints below and saints above the church and earth and heaven. Then with my heart I first believed, believed with faith divine, par with the Holy Ghost received to call the Savior mine. I felt my Lord's atoning blood, Close to my soul applied. Me, me, he loved the Son of God. For me, for me, he died. I find and owned his promise true. Ascertained my part. Uh, my pardon passed in heaven, I know, when written on my heart. He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken spirits rejoice. The humble poor believe. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold your Savior come and leap your lame for joy. Look unto him, you nations, own your God, ye fallen race. Look and be saved through faith alone, be justified by grace. See all your sins on Jesus laid, the Lamb of God was slain. His soul was once an offering made for every son of man. And he now begins to think about the illness that he has suffered, the problem that he has had breathing and he writes these immortal words and he says oh for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's praise the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. If I had a thousand voices to sing, I would lift up every thousand one of them, Lord, and I would worship you and give you glory for the work you've done in our lives. My gracious Master and my God assist me to proclaim 
to spread through all the world abroad the honors of my name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life, tis health, tis peace. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, your blood can make the foulest clean. Your blood it avails for me. I was once weighed in the balance and found wanting. But Lord, that is no longer the judgment that is proclaimed over my life. Because Jesus, you took my judgment. It was nailed to the cross with you. And I stand forgiven at the cross this morning. All of us today, no matter our decisions, no matter our past, we can stand forgiven at the cross today. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you think to yourself, well, I can probably relate more to the brother who, who had no time for the father than I can to the other brother. I want to tell you this morning, God wants to bring you from the transition of being in a foreign land, being outside of God, being outside of our relationship with him not knowing him, not knowing anything about him, not knowing his love, not knowing his grace, not standing in relationship before him, not being in right relationship with God and righteousness this morning. But I want to tell you today that God wants to transition you in from one brother to the other so he can proclaim over your life today that everything that I have is yours. And it all starts in one place. There's no working it out. There's no trying to make yourself better. There's no trying to improve. It all starts in one place, and that is accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior by faith and faith alone. That's how simple it is this morning. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.